Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hi, and welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here with Tina Spring, and today we're joined by Melissa Basler. She is the owner of Wagmore Pets. She does a couple of things with Wagmore. She is a rescue and shelter in Southern California, as well as she owns the luxury pet hotel and spa. But we're here today to talk with Melissa about fostering and why shelters foster. What good does it, does it, is it good for the dogs? What does it do for the dogs? And also too, to find out a little bit more that you, you as our listeners might want to know about fostering, especially if you're thinking about fostering a dog. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Tina for the first question. It's great to meet you. I'm so glad you're here, Melissa. And I've heard lots of good things. Julie got to come out of, and visit your facility and get a tour. I'm super jealous. Um, so she got to learn an awful lot about what you all do. I know you have a large population who are helping in your fostering program um, with dogs. Can you talk a little bit about how you recruit fosters or who your ideal foster home would be? Absolutely. And it's so nice to meet you too, Tina, that can come and visit at some point. So with us, fostering was really a second thought. We really, because we have a facility, because we have dog hotels, my thought was always to have the dogs in-house and, you know, have my staff work with them. We have 24-hour staff there. But I realized with the puppies and with pregnant moms and with elderly dogs, there are just certain types of dogs that we can't keep in-house. It's not safe. They don't like it. You know, they do better in a foster situation. So it really started with pregnant moms and puppies because I I just, I love rescuing pregnant moms. And our outreach was all through social media. I think, you know, people constantly ask me like, how, you know, how do you get so many fosters? How do you do this? How do you do that? In reality, the way we have our outreach is by being really great at social media. <laughs> it's not by being really great at finding fosters. It's just putting it out there. Um, I'm lucky enough to have transitioned a business into a rescue. So I really run it a lot like a business. And even though the fosters are volunteer based, we have a hub. We have a business where they can call 24 hours a day and speak to somebody. We have a business where they can come and pick up supplies at any point during their foster situation and we also have great reach as far as uh, social media goes so our, our adoptions are fast when people are fostering a puppy we can pretty confidently say this is only going to be for two weeks and most people can kind of commit to two weeks without feeling super overwhelmed Hey, Melissa, could you um, maybe explain what do you mean, what you mean by two weeks? Because people are thinking, well, if she just, if the mother just gave birth, two weeks is kind of. Totally. There's definitely individual situations. But with puppies, like let's say we take in a litter of puppies that are six to eight weeks old already. Um, Maybe they were abandoned. Maybe they were at the shelter. For whatever reason, these puppies are there without a mom. We pretty much know that if we hold them for two weeks, just to make sure there's no underlying issues, they will be adopted within that two-week period. And that's kind of what our rescue likes to do. We get the puppies in, 
before they even go to foster, we bring them right to our vet. They get a wellness check. They get their first set of shots. They get dewormed, flea treatment, whatever they kind of need to just start off. And then they go into a foster home and we hold them for two weeks because puppy diseases like parvo and distemper really take 10 days to two weeks to show up. So we want to make sure that when the adopter is taking their puppy, that, that they don't have any of those things. God forbid, during that two weeks, something comes up like parvo or distemper, we then hospitalize them and they go into a medical foster, into a medical facility until they're better before they go home. But most of our fosters, we just ask to hold for that two week quarantine, I guess you can call it, until they're ready to go home. So with puppies, it's a pretty much a guarantee you're only going to have them for that two week period. And it's a known thing. So we contract our fosters, they sign a contract with an end date so that they know exactly what's going on. And this system has developed over the two years that we've been using fosters. You know, in the beginning, it was very much like, can you foster these dogs? Great. There was no contract. There was no real, <laughs> like, standard, you know, um, we were asking fosters to go to our vet and we realized that a lot of those things were making it uncomfortable for fosters. Like our vet is an hour away from our facility. So our fosters, even though they span through Southern California, they didn't, a lot of them didn't have time or they weren't willing to go to our vet just for a wellness check. So we've found, you know, in this development of how to do things over the last two years, that if we get them to the vet before they actually go to foster, more people are willing to commit to that two weeks. So basically they're getting a puppy that's going to just have to hang in their house and learn how to be inside with a family, with other dogs, with kids, whatever their sort of background is for two weeks. And it's much easier. Granted, every once in a while you'll get a sick puppy or something where they do have to go the extra mile, but we've sort of found that that's the easiest way for us to keep fosters doing it over and over again. If they know from the beginning, this is the end date, this, these are your responsibilities with this puppy. If you need more supplies, you can come or get here 24 hours a day. You can come pick up food or pee pads or, you know, whatever. So for us, it's a little bit easier. I know a lot of rescues that are foster based, they probably don't have a place where people can go and pick up food and things like that. We're very lucky that we do have this facility that's sort of centrally located that it makes people feel confident that if there's a problem, they at least know who to call or where to go. And we also have, you know, my whole staff, like we don't really have volunteers on staff. It's their, their staff, they're being paid. Our foster coordinator, our medical coordinator, our rescue coordinator, these are all paid positions. So they are available to fosters to ask questions and, you know, reach out to all the time. What kind of training do you provide for foster homes? So our foster homes, we don't usually provide any training. We provide constant communication. So as questions come up, we answer them. Again, most of our foster homes take in puppies, like little puppies. So we do give them like sort of a rule book, like what they are allowed to do, what they aren't allowed to do. Obviously puppies can't go for walks. They can't go outside. Um, we give them pens and pee pads and sort of those sort of things because we're in LA. Most of our fosters live in apartments. So 
they really are pee pad training. There isn't a yard offered. We love it when there is a yard um, and they can kind of start those dogs, those puppies on going outside, but that's just not always what we get. With dogs that have behavioral issues that need fosters, we usually put them in a two-week board and train. We have a behaviorist and a trainer that we use. They usually will go there first, at least for two weeks, if not four to six, depending on what is going on behaviorally. And then that trainer will work with any foster home indefinitely, either through video or he'll physically go there and work with them. For Do you have a veterinary behaviorist you're working with? That's great. Yeah, uh, we do. Um, we, we don't mean to take on <laughs> behavior dogs, honestly. It's not really something that is our forte, but sometimes it just happens and you don't know. And at that point, like I'm very much, once we take in a dog, I don't really ever want to give up on them. I always want to give them as much, as much as we can, you know, that's kind of been our motto from the beginning. If we can, we will. So with these larger behavior dogs, we will put them in training. We have a Frenchie right now that's going to training this week that we just can't snap out of random biting and we don't know why even with people that she loves and you know we've tried to keep her in house we walk her we work with her but she needs a little bit more than we can provide in house so now she's going to go to a behaviorist and hope that we can correct some of these issues super um so if you are um an adoptee right and you come in and you've been told that the dog that you're looking at is in foster what kind of questions should a potential adoptee be asking the foster family and what should they be looking for as a reasonable explanation for different things from fosters? How do you, how do you think the adoptee should be interacting with the foster? What kind of communication should be going on here? What kind of questions should they be asking? So we actually, and this probably might not be the most popular thing, but we actually do not let adopters talk to fosters ever. You know, fosters are not trainers. Fosters are not behaviorists and fosters are not vets. (laughs) We have people that specialize in those things. And sometimes we, we just have fosters sort of oftentimes say things that maybe aren't the most productive. And these are dogs. They're living things. They're going to act differently in every home. So if the foster has six kids and all those kids have friends that are constantly coming over and constantly loud and playing and this and that. And then the dog is going into a home with a single person who works from home who isn't going to have six kids or 12 kids or 18 kids in the house all the time. The dog is going to have a decision, right? So what we really try to do is get all the information from the foster, have them write detailed reports and have them email us and tell us and explain to us what they feel is going on with the dog or or what the dog's behavior is. And then our vet coordinator and our behaviorist and our trainer will discuss it and evaluate the dog. And then we will talk to the new adopters about the things that are going on. And we do have dogs in our care that we will only adopt out if the adopter will actually hire either our trainer or a trainer to do introductions to their home. So a lot of times, yeah, if there's some kind of behavioral thing or if the foster's super concerned about a behavioral thing, we will 
actually insist on them bringing in a trainer. We just had this happen last week. There was a dog that was returned to us that was adopted as a puppy, as an eight-week-old puppy. The family had the dog for a year. The dog is a herding dog. Now, they got the puppy at eight weeks old. They said that the dog over the year is great with their kids and great with their other dogs. But for some reason, with the mom, when she would come in and try to interact with the daughter, the dog would sort of like push her out of the way or nip her out of the way. They said they got a trainer and they didn't have any evaluation to show us or anything like that. But we took in the dog. We had the dog evaluated. We didn't have those issues in-house with the dog at all, with all the employees and things like that. But again, different situation, right? Maybe this dog felt that, that her job was to protect this child. I don't know why this was happening. We didn't feel that that was the same behavior. However, obviously, to the new adopter, we had to disclose this behavior, right? The new adopter is single, no plans for children, home all day, but has a cat. We would not let her actually take the dog home. We had her hire a trainer to pick up the dog from us and do the initial introduction. Because I feel like that first introduction sometimes is so important, you know, like it sort of sets up what's going to happen. And she's working with the trainer. And I knew if she was willing to hire a trainer to pick up the dog and do the introduction, then she was serious. Because lots of people tell us they're going to hire a trainer and then they call us a week later or two weeks later or a year later. Yeah, I'm not hiring a trainer and this isn't working. <laughs> so we've learned from those mistakes. We've learned. Be like, we want to see it. We want to know what's happening. And if you really want this dog, great. Then let's do this the right way and make sure that this dog is set up for success. I think that's I think that's great. And I also find it interesting. Um, you know, at first you think, well, gosh, you'd want the adopter to talk to the to the foster. But on the other hand, if you take a look at that, if you have lines of communication going in so many different directions, you're going to get so many different interpretations. It's probably better to streamline the communication so that your adoptee has one point of contact through which all the information gets funneled. So I can see why you do that. Especially with the vet stuff, because, you know, I feel like as, as again, as like humans, we all do this. It's no one's fault. Like we just it's human nature. We hear what we want to hear. So, you know, everybody hears what they want to hear. So you'll have a puppy that's having diarrhea, let's just say. And the foster might be like, oh, my gosh, like, this is really a huge issue. This puppy is having diarrhea and whatever. And we'll bring the puppy to the vet. We'll get a fecal sample. There's no bacteria. There's nothing going on. It's probably a food allergy, right? And we'll switch the food. The puppy's okay. And all is good no concerns. And we'll say, we'll say to the adopter, Hey, this puppy doesn't do well on chicken. Maybe it's just an age thing, whatever, but just so you know. And then all of a sudden the foster talks to them and the foster's like, the puppy was dying. The puppy had explosive diarrhea all over my house for weeks. I, I bet the puppy had heart. They will say things because you know, the fosters will start Googling and they'll be like, well, I read that the diarrhea is because of parvo. We're like, it could be, but that's not what this diarrhea was. So we 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 don't know why this happens, <laughs> but it happens. And then the adopters are calling us like we withheld medical information, you know, and like we did not withhold medical information. It was an unconcerning thing. It's exactly why we hold puppies for two weeks to make sure we figure this out 
So when we give you the puppy, we can say like, hey, these are the things that are going on, like whatever. So we've just found that it's easiest to streamline the conversations, like you said, have the people like, are any of us experts? No, but we've been doing it a lot longer than the fosters. The reason I pay a medical coordinator who's an RBT who's been doing this for 20 years is because she can take what a vet says and logically process it and hear what's necessary and tell my adopter exactly what's going on from a medical standpoint, not from a Googling 25 different diseases standpoint, you know? Right. I mean, <laughs> if you and I, if the three of us Google any random stuff we've got going on, we've got either malaria, cancer, or brain tumor. Like it's all, we're all dying. That's what's happening. 911. Yes. Well, so it's always interesting to me how people do extrapolate things like that. Like, oh, your puppy couldn't eat this one food that hasn't had a chicken breast near it it, ever. And they randomly decide the dog is allergic to chicken and can't. And I'm like, right. So your puppy at eight weeks, there's not a lot they can digest. Like their little bodies are still growing and changing. And it could have been the acorn they ate in the backyard and had nothing to do with the food. Like calm down for a minute, but we're all nervous mommies. So how many, when you, right. And I'm honestly, like, I, I don't remember a time I didn't have a dog. And if my dog looks a little queasy. We're like getting in the car and going to the vet because I'm a nervous mommy. So when you look at the percentages of your rescue, rescues are sometimes criticized for pulling puppies out of a community because those are easy to place and not rescuing adult dogs or even puppies that are eight, nine, 10 months old. Can you speak a little bit to kind of how you guys navigate those tricky waters? I mean, we have at all times 50 dogs, adult dogs in house. So we are rescuing adult dogs constantly. Um, As soon as we have space, we either call the shelters or like talk to our people who get all the surrenders and take in more adult dogs. So we always have adult dogs. We just always have puppies too. I, I was talking to someone yesterday. I don't know what is going on. But every time I turn around lately in the past two months, there is somebody begging us to take a litter of puppies. And maybe it's because everybody got a dog during the pandemic and the vets were backed up and no one got them fixed. I don't know what is going on, but there is such an insane amount of puppies and pregnant moms. Like we did a rescue last week, 40 dogs. I would say three quarters of them were adults. We bring them all to the vet to get fixed and whatever before they come in for adoption three of them are pregnant so awkward and more puppies you know so basically I feel like every rescue does what they can and we all know that dogs between what seven and ten months old especially males are like the number one dogs that are in shelters because people don't train them and they don't fix them and now you have a problem child we love taking those dogs in so we just try to do as much as we can. And as the issues come up, we take them in. So we're, we're definitely not a puppy heavy rescue. Um, we're kind of half and half. It's just, again, we're really good at social media because we run our rescue like a business and what gets a lot of attention on social media, really cute puppies. So we post them a lot, but we also have a ton of adult dogs in house 
And in reality, they get adopted really fast. Our seniors don't get adopted as fast, but we try to put them in foster homes. But I think that's everybody, right? Like a 10-year-old Chihuahua is not the most popular. I don't know. A 10-year-old Chihuahua at least is a known quantity, right? Like we know whether you like kids or not. We know whether or not you resource guard. We know whether or not you're house trained. And if you're not house trained, then apartment living and going on a pee pad isn't a big deal versus going out and living in a neighborhood where people expect you to go on grass. So, right. I, I mean, I direct people, families in particular, I will tell you, adopting an adult, adult dog, way easier on the family and the dog than adopt, like a social dog who's right. being matched to a good situation, a situation that's a good match for them. Adopting an adult dog, way easier on the family and the kiddos and the dog than adopting a puppy. Like a puppy is going to be a lot of right. work for a really long time. And then you don't know what you're getting. Right. right? You know this and I know this. I know they don't know, they, know this. They, they, <laughs> but they're like, but the puppies. And I'm like, that's going to be really hard for like three years. And not only that, like when people are so like concerned with weight, like I, we have a lot of people that live in apartments. So they're like, I can't have a dog that's over 25 pounds. I just can't. And I'm like, then get an adult dog. Because I could tell you how much that dog weighs. Right. I have no idea how much this, this puppy is going to weigh. So one of my staff, one of my staff adopted a, a puppy. And she was like, how much do you think he's, how big do you think he's going to be as an adult? And I'm like, I have no idea. Like this puppy pretty clearly like the universe had a box of spare parts and just kind of stuck them together. And if you had put thumb screws on me when he was what we guessed was 16 weeks old, I would have said this puppy is going to be like a 20, 25 pound dog. He's 40. Right. And I've been doing it, you know, a long time. I'm pretty right. good at guessing. And yeah, like I would have, he grew the second year. Like, he's just a weirdo. Like he's just right. a weirdo and you just don't always know. Right. You don't. I mean, my, one of my dogs that's like 15 now, when I got him, I brought him home and my husband's like, why are we getting another dog? And I was like, it's a Pomeranian. I've always wanted a Pomeranian. And he's like, all right. He's a shepherd. He's not a Pomeranian. He's 85 pounds. When I got him, he was probably only like four or five weeks old. I thought he was older and he was this tiny little fluffy thing. And then about four or five months, the snout went out, the legs grew, the ears went up. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, and I mean, I don't care personally, but like, there, you know, if you lived in an apartment and wanted a under 20 pound dog, you would have been pretty upset. Well, the other thing that I find with owners or, or adopters or whatever is that they always want a puppy because they feel that they can mold that puppy into whatever kind of adult dog they want it to be. And I'm like, you know, they have a certain level of genetics that come with it, you know, and that all behavior has both experience and genetics and environmental causes. So, you know, good luck with that. I mean, you can you can kind of guide it. But, you know, if you have kids at all, you know that they don't come as complete empty slates Dogs are the same way, and, and Tina's right. With an adult dog, at least you're getting a lot more of a known commodity. And I, but I think that that really scares people because, or, or they think, well, I want to create the perfect dog, and that's just not going to happen. Also, can't train adult dogs, and we obviously, like, I, you know, whenever people, all of our adult dogs are available to me at any point. So we're always saying to people, just come in, sit with the dogs, meet the dogs, see who you connect with. 
but um, and our puppies, they're in homes, they're in foster homes. So oftentimes people don't meet them before they adopt. They just adopt off of a picture and a video. And, you know, it just depends on the person, you know, and the level of experience they have with dogs, because the things adopters say to us, and obviously we don't adopt to everybody, but I talked to somebody the other day and we're talking about a puppy and they say, oh, well, growing up, my puppy sat in the house 12 hours a day when we were at work and they were fine. And I'm like, you can't leave a puppy in a house for 12 hours. But people still have that mentality. Well, I mean, you can, but you're going to be really mad. Right. And then they're mad that the dog pooped in the house or ripped their couch. I'm like, well, what do you expect? I mean, I don't think an adult dog should be alone in the house for 12 hours either. But that's a whole other point. You know, people have these ideals and that is just an adopter. So, again, when you're dealing with somebody that understands the adult dog, it's pretty much you know what you're getting then they usually go for the adult dog. But a lot of newer adopters are families, which we tend to get a lot of families. They want the puppy. Right. And I think a lot of them remember, well, when I was a kid and we had this XYZ, this Beagle Doberman mix or whatever it was, um, and it was, they remember it as the perfect dog. And so not realizing perhaps what their parents went through to train that perfect dog and so they want to repeat that experience. And so they figure the best way to do that is to get a puppy. And that's not necessarily. And the other thing is, I think people, too, they're like, oh, but, I, you know, dogs have such short lives. I want as long as possible with my dog. But I have a, a friend who wanted um, he was looking for a dog. Both of his dogs had passed away and um, he wanted a dog he could really work with. And he loves to train and he loves to train tricks and play with his dog. So um, I have a, a flat-coated retriever, and so I contacted my breeder to see, but he wanted an adult dog. So he, I connected him with another breeder who had a dog that she wanted to move along, who was six, and he really hesitated, but he went ahead and got her, the six-year-old adult, and I have never seen a happier pair in my life. These two are just made for one another. He's just sort of this picture perfect. If you adopt an adult dog, it may really be magic. And so I try to encourage people that even a dog that's a little bit older than that, of course, flat coats tend to be puppies their entire lives, which is in itself um, a blessing and a curse. But um, anyway, it's just, it, it does work. And, you know, you've given a dog a chance to live its the rest of its life in the environment that every dog should have. So when, when I have a family who tells me like they absolutely have to have a puppy, I actually encourage them to foster a puppy for a couple, a couple of weeks. They'll know really quickly whether a puppy's a good fit or whether an adult dog's a good fit. Right. Cause, because there's the idea, it's kind of like marriage, right? It's like, or, or a job or a house, like you have an idea of how your furniture is going to fit in it and how that's going to look. But in the end, you're probably going to end up getting different stuff. So I often think that fostering, and I recommend it highly to people to go in to foster and foster, you'll know pretty quickly whether or not a dog is right at that point in your life or whether a puppy is a good fit or any particular dog is a good fit. I know here, at least in 
in Georgia, many times people do a foster to adopt. So they're fostering and they get rights of first refusal. So they're in that two week window where we're still veterinary and behavior assessing and all those things. And then at the end of that two weeks, they can say like, hey, we've totally fallen in love and the dog's staying or my neighbor has gotten to love this dog and they're going to put in an application. We found here that foster homes can be really adoptive help in that they're finding, if especially if they fall in love with that dog, they're finding a great home for that dog and can really promote that dog with the shelter. So say like, hey, tell them I sent you that you're interested in this dog and then also talking to their adoption coordinator. But I think it's a lot less heartbreak if somebody fosters a puppy for two weeks and goes, yeah, so it turns out four kids under 10 and a puppy was a lot, then we're not all mad. We're, we're not all heartbroken when that puppy goes on to a situation that is a better fit. And then that family can can decide like, okay, whoa, flag on the play. We might not be ready for a dog at all. Or are we, or do we need an older dog, right? Do we need an adult dog? Do we need a senior dog? What do we, what do we need? So I think fostering in particular is something that families don't think of when they're maybe, they think they're ready, but they're not, they're maybe not entirely ready. And that that's not, that's not a failure to be like, Hey, we fostered and it was miserable and awful. And we don't ever want to do that again. That's just information. Right. Totally. That was the cool thing about the pandemic. Families were home and didn't know what to do with their kids. So they fostered. (laughs) We found, we've had so many families being like, you know, my kids are being homeschooled. They have no like friends coming over. So stressful for all of us. I need to give them something to do. And a project we're going to foster and it was so great because you're right like a lot of families realized wow having a puppy on top of everything else in our lives is like not gonna work so yeah it's it's been a fascinating thing <laughs> what i'm seeing is sometimes people are like hey we're really freaked out and overwhelmed so we're gonna add more complication and i'm like well that's an right. interesting choice I did not want to add any right. complication to my life during the pandemic. Like my heart has been telling me for about a year that I need a puppy. And I'm like, listen, heart, you need to go somewhere else because I'm not listening to you right now because we need a puppy. Like we need a hole in the head. Like I don't need a puppy. I need a vacation. Right. Right. But you know, it's just a way to learn. Like you said, fostering is a way to learn if you can deal with this whole new member of your family. Okay. So that's, that's, I think that's a great suggestion. And I think if you're looking to get a dog and you're uncertain as to how that will fit into your family, I think fostering is a great idea. But what about somebody who just wants, whose idea like, okay, I'm not sure I want a dog, but I think I might be interested in, in fostering. What would you tell somebody who's interested in fostering what is the kind of questions they should be asking themselves about whether or not fostering is a good idea for them? Well, I mean, you know, again, this is all a work in progress. We realized in the beginning we had to be really clear with fosters that, like, this is only going to be two weeks. We are going to be looking for a new home for this dog. So you're bringing this dog into your home. 
they are a puppy, they're going to chew. Like we try to give them as much information about what it means to have a puppy in your home as possible. But we also tried to set them up to know that if they thought they were going to want to adopt to let us know right away, because what was happening at first was people would have this puppy for two weeks and they would know, okay, the puppy's leaving on February 8th at 9 a.m. and blah, blah, blah. And then like the night before they'd be like, you know what? I think I want to adopt this puppy. I'm in love. And we're like, well, the puppy's been adopted for a week. <laughs> like, you, have, you know, and they're like, what? And they would get upset. So we like write that in our contract and tell them because if they just want to foster and that's why they're coming in, they don't want to adopt. They have to remember that the puppy is going to leave because we've actually had the problem where most people end up wanting to keep the dogs, you know, and that's great. We love when the fosters adopt. I think that that's great, but um, they need to understand that if they don't tell us that they want to adopt, the puppy's going to leave. <laughs> They're right. And that's why I said, like, what I'm seeing locally is this idea of foster to adopt and and that the puppy is placed in that home knowing or, or adult dog even like they're trying to make really good matches, even in fostering that that if this yeah. is a great match, we, then the we, puppy, the dog is home. Yeah. And if it's not a great match, we're looking for the perfect home for that dog. But either right. way, the dog's going to have a home. Right. And so I, it's been interesting to watch that progression here to go from we don't do fosters at all to we do one week, you know, three day trial basis to foster to adopt, knowing that that person's going to be an ambassador for that dog. and. I would tell you that I'm pretty sure many of the foster homes are considered a foster to adopt unless they say like, we're, we're, we know that this puppy isn't a good fit. We're just fostering. Like they assume that there's a little bit of this puppy's going to, or dog is going to stay there if they're a good fit. Right. We use our fosters. Like we basically have a core group of fosters that we use over and over and over again. So we know those people aren't going to adopt and they're great. I mean, they're, we have our core group that just bring in these dogs week after week and get them ready for their new homes and just do a really good job. We just move so fast and we do such big numbers that it's hard for us to wait on a foster to decide. Like we had somebody a couple days ago, they've been fostering a puppy for the two weeks. The puppy wasn't adopted. So we asked them if they would hold the puppy for another week while we look for a home. And they said, yeah, of course. Then we had an event that we wanted them to bring the puppy to. And we were like, hey, can you bring this puppy to this event we're doing? We have a lot of adopters coming. They were like, wait, what? No, we don't want to. And we're like, well, (laughs) why not? They're like, well, we might adopt. And we're like, okay, well, you have to let us know. So that was a Friday. Then by Sunday... They still weren't letting us know anything. They weren't bringing the puppy in for the adoption events that we had all weekend. And I finally had to say to them, like, what is your plan here? Because now I have three applications for this puppy, three people who want to adopt the puppy that haven't even met the puppy and are willing to be like, no, that's like, we want that puppy. And you're still not making a decision. And they asked if they could have another week to decide. And I said, no, it's not fair to the puppy or these other adopters. So they ended up adopting the puppy. So like for us, because we're lucky enough to have so many people wanting to adopt our dogs, we like just move faster. So we don't do that many 
foster to adopt. We will with the adult dog. So with our adult dog, been doing a little bit more foster to adopt because a lot of people just want to see if that adult is going to adjust into their lifestyle. You know, maybe they already have a dog, maybe they have kids, maybe, you know, there's different reasons and we'll allow people to do that. But with the puppies, we kind of tell our fosters, you have to make a decision, but that's just us. And it's just because we move quickly and it's because we're taking 30 to 40 dogs a week. And more than half of them are going into fosters. So we like to get those dogs in a foster, out of a foster, and get those fosters new puppies, you know, every two weeks. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us on Your Family Dog. It's really been really interesting. And I think it's given our audience a lot to think about when it comes to fostering. You know, is this something that that I want to do? And the fact is, is that I think for dogs going coming out of a shelter, Putting them in a foster at least gives them an idea of, of what they can expect, and it gives you an idea of how a dog is going to perform in a home. While every foster home is different and every forever home is different, at least you're getting some information. So I think the way in which you are fostering is terrific, and the fact that you are doing as much as you do. Um, I will say, uh, for those of you who are in Southern California, do check out Wagmore Pets. I was there over the weekend. And I have to tell you, I was so impressed with the facility. I told Melissa, the first thing I noticed when I walked in was there's no smell, which is wonderful because oftentimes there's this sort of underlying odiferous sensation and there wasn't. And your, your dogs were clean. They were happy. They were engaged in the little dog yard. Every dog had its own bed that it could go to. And um, it was quiet. And the staff was just really wonderful the way they interacted with the dogs. I was impressed from the very minute I walked in. So if you're looking for a pet and you live in Southern California, check out Wagmore Rescue and Shelter. It's really terrific. And, And they live on donations and they're a nonprofit. So consider that as well. Thank you again. Tina, do you have any last words of wisdom you'd like to share with us? Well, no, but I'm going to ask Melissa if there's anything that she wants to share and make sure that we we get out to the the wider audience. Is there anything you want to talk about that you didn't get a chance to talk about? No, I think you guys are awesome. And I really appreciate you coming out to the shelter and saying, we work really hard on that. Um, (laughs) We work really hard at keeping everybody and everything clean. Um, I would love anybody who's listening to kind of check out our Instagram page. We just started this new series called why we rescue. And it's been so fun for me to show the dogs, like where we get them to when they're in their forever homes. Um, and they're like these 60 second little stories that just are fun and, and engaging and emotional. And I love them. So I would love everybody to check that out. And just thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you. And we'll listen. We'll have uh, all of you back next time on Your Family Dog. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.